Hi, all. Welcome. It is Monday night, Generational Change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And we're feeling a little active. I mean, there's a lot happening. There's a lot happening. There's a lot happening. There's a lot of things happening. What's today? Today is May Day. What does that mean? It's supposedly a labor thing, but we don't tend to seem to care too much about labor in this country. But technically, technically, May Day is about labor and people coming together. That's my understanding. I was actually just listening to a story about the origins of the whole thing about the Maypole. And it's about the entwining and everybody kind of coming together. Yes. Well, of course, labor, if you use the U, labor day is really what this is all about. And we are obviously huge advocates for labor. Uh, Big fans. It seem that the powers that be are the type of advocates for labor that they should be. And I do think that that is a huge part of the problem. So needless to say, uh, it is the type of day where we're looking out for those that are the ones who really move the economy, even though the powers that be in both parties would like you to believe that it has something to do with shareholders. Yeah, I, I don't agree. I don't think shareholders are really the ones that are making the difference here. No, we're we have, not interested in shareholders. No, we're interested in the people on the ground that are willing to make a huge difference in everyday lives. And somebody who is making a huge difference in everyday lives is somebody that you and I saw coming months ago before a lot of other people did, because this young gentleman happened to have been a thorn in the side of all powers that be, including Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah. We do think uh, is more of a net positive than a net negative, unfortunately. But talk about coming full circle having to do what she feels is necessary at a time where that is just not acceptable anymore. Mm. It's going to take real courageous individuals like Jose Vega to do what is necessary to make them realize that incrementalism and playing the game just isn't going to work anymore. By the way, today's the anniversary of the Met. The Met Gala is actually today. Isn't that interesting how the Met Gala is today (laughs) on May Day? I don't know. It just seems so wrong and almost intentional in so many respects. I don't think so. I don't think they've even thought about it. If you want to know what a real journalist looks like and somebody who is actually fighting on the side of the people and not on the side of corporate special interests and is not just going to go along to get along, especially when it comes to issues of labor and especially when it comes to issues of war, we cannot have picked a better time to have on somebody who is really making a significant difference in the movement itself towards what we consider to be, again, the overall labor movement is our goal here. And in terms of advancing it, I think without question, Jose Vega is doing just that. Welcome to Generational Change. Thank you for having me. Hi. Hi, Jose and cute cat that looks kind of like Felix. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, Felix just knocked out the Uh-oh. Power. See, this is the thing about felines. See, cats are naughty. Cats, see, they can't be trusted. He, he, this is the thing about felines. People, I love animals. I do. I just wouldn't want to share my home with a feline. Yeah. I have mad respect for the feline. I really do. But they are just, yeah. Well, yeah. we're going to eventually hear the story as to why he got knocked off. and then eventually we'll something, something went awry. So here's what we're going to do in the interim while Jose figures out exactly yeah. what went wrong. So we are going to play for you the video of Jose Vega confronting, who I personally believe is one of the biggest slime balls in all of politics, always has been, and that, of course, is John Podesta. The Podesta group 
who has been closely linked with the Democratic establishment for over 30 years, I believe. And for some incredible reason, the benevolent President Biden, you know, Grandpa Joe, decided to make the Podesta Group the organization that will be distributing the climate money, you know, uh, amongst uh, uh, amongst their friends. Uh, well, whatever you want to call it. So here's Jose Vega addressing such ridiculousness in the D.C. bubble. And who better than to do it against somebody as loathsome as John Podesta? Here we go. The impress hall event. So shouldn't we be talking about the Nord Stream since that's the biggest story of the century? And you guys, you know, I mean, you have the executive editor of the New York Times there who came out with a phony story to try and block Seymour Hersh. It just... It's just kind of funny how that happened, you know? I mean, did you even acknowledge Seymour Hersh? All of you are executive editors of papers that broke Pentagon, Me Lie, Watergate. Is this the same papers or not? I mean, is there anything you've gotten right in the last 20 years? Or am I mistaken about that? I mean, it's just kind of funny because Iraq, wrong. Syria, wrong. Russiagate, really wrong. Okay, I mean, the list goes on and on. So the last thing you could do to try and actually fix your reputation is acknowledge that through leaks, we had to find out that Zelensky was going to bomb Moscow on the anniversary. I mean, if you're so impartial, shouldn't you at least say, right, that Zelensky was going to bring us on the verge of World War III? That seems pretty fair. While Julian Assange rots in prison, all of you got, you know, fat checks because he's in jail for doing your job. And you know what? Tucker Carlson ain't no Seymour Hirsch, but he did something you guys are scared to do. Speak the truth and actually be critical of the war, which is why he was actually fired from Fox, because you are all cowards, every single one of you. None of you have actually had any relevancy. And you know what? The mainstream press is now dying. Nobody's ever going to listen to you again. You have no credibility with the public. The only people who care about what you have to say are elite assholes who have nothing productive to say anymore. And it's dying off. So will you at least say something either about Nord Stream or Ukraine or the fact that Zelensky brought us to the verge of World War Three? And the only reason we knew about that was through leaks? Go ahead. It's a free speech event, right? You guys are the press. Let's say something here. Mr. Khan, come on. You know, you're the executive head of the New York Times, you know? I'm just trying to get into some good trouble here, man. Listen, Karen, get out of my face for a second. I got to talk to these gentlemen. I just want to hear what they have to say. Go ahead. I'm done. Wait your turn. Wait your turn. Wait your turn. You could you could project if we can't. Yeah. So thank you. I do think that we need to give uh, our moderator a chance to ask one question. We're on the verge of World War Three. Say something about this bombing. We blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. Listen, don't stand there while there are people rotting in prison. Nobody said anything about Uhuru, right? The socialists who are in jail for being critical of this war? God damn it!
Samira. That was awesome. Takes a lot of guts. Oh, Jose, we just watched the video of you. It was awesome. So there we go. So perfect uh, timing. Uh, so sorry. I mean, listen, there are arguments to be made because everyone would say, well, you know, you're going after AOC and she's supposedly on the good side. Let's throw that out and let's just discuss the fact how John Podesta, of all people, if you're talking about what the swamp really looks like in politics, it doesn't get any worse than that man and his brother and their organization and what they have been doing to this country for such a long time. And when people are looking for reasons to say that you should support Joe in 24, look no further than the amount of money that was earmarked to the Podesta group to deal with the climate crisis. I mean, to me, that says it all. I just want to know what event that was that we were just watching the video of. Who were you going? I'm, I'm assuming it's a mainstream media event. You were talking to editor New York Times. What event? Went, where? What was that? Okay, so I, I assume that was the uh, the okay one where I started. Is this the lecture hall for Seymour Hirsch? Is that that point? Yeah. You I, okay. Yeah. Okay. Must have been. Yeah. You mentioned Seymour Hirsch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was at Columbia School of Journalism. That was um, hosted by uh, some group called Fault Lines Democracy, and the name of the panel was called um, Policy and the Press. And then the subtitle was How Does Press uh, what role does the press play in shaping um, U.S. policy, oh. something like that? And so on the stage was the executive uh, editor for the New York Times, L.A. Times, Washington Post, Reuters, and the moderator was Jonathan Capehart of MSNBC. Uh, so, so, okay, yeah. the, okay, so that the writing's on the wall with that, but you really, like, you you said to them like everything that like I've been thinking for so long. And the fact that this took place at Columbia is really interesting to me because growing up in high school, I was a newspaper person and twice I went to Columbia to the Scholastic Press Association to the J School. Like that was sacred there in terms of like the quality of journalism. Like this is something that was taught very seriously. So, and okay, granted I'm a little older. So it's very disappointing to me and to see like how far we've fallen. But the idea that there is no fourth estate, those are stenographers. Those are just stenographers for the ruling class. Like what, what am I missing? No, you're completely right. They are just stenographers for the, uh, upper echelons of the political um, sphere. I mean, you know, these people like to complain about Republicans, right? So New York Times loves to go after Republicans and stuff, but not when it comes to war. No, because when we start pushing war with China, you know, when we start pushing war with Russia, you know, the media is the first one to say, this is why we should all be in, in charge and support these uh, uh, actions against war. Right. So, you know, they get their news reports from whatever agent is giving them. You know, Here's the news for the day. Oh, thank you very much. Agent Smith of the CIA. And then they'll go and print it and be like, here you go. Here's the news for the day, everyone. You know, we're just going to uh, print whatever it is we tell you to print and read whatever we want you to read. What was your sort of I mean, everybody has sort of their story arc, if you will. But what was the inspiration to initially go to AOC's town hall and start this whole process of basically saying, Look, no one else is really doing anything to try to really cause stir here when it's desperately needed. So what the f, f I'm going to do it myself. That's a that's a that's a big enchilada of a question. 
All right, so I'm 24 now, and I was 24 when I confronted AOC. And when I was about 20, and she had just won her primary, I remember I was living in a basement apartment in the Bronx. I still live in the Bronx, which is not in that same place, where the ceiling had collapsed in on itself because the ceiling had filled up with sewage water from the floors above. And my landlord didn't want to do anything about it. My assemblyman told me to just drop the whole thing. Um, and my congressman was on the way out because he was like, it wasn't Serrano was retiring. He could not care about anything. So AOC had just won her primary about the time this was happening. And I reached out to her campaign email saying, listen, you guys just won the primary. I'm hoping you could at least bring one. I, I have the screenshot of the email somewhere on my Twitter. Um, because when she called me a right-wing cultist and said I was lying, I was like, well, actually, no, I really was like a supporter of yours. And then she was going on Glenn Greenwald talking about, we're going to free Hassan. She was saying how we're going to do this and that. And I think overall it boils down to this quote from Dr. King that says, there can be no deep disappointment where there is no deep love. And I really believed in AOC and I, you know, I'm ashamed to see her become just another warmonger, whether she realizes it or not. And I think after I had confronted her, she had to call me a right wing Trump supporting and she had to smear me with every name in the book because it's the only way she'd be able to sleep at night knowing that what I was saying was not true, or at least could she could discredit what I was saying. And that I think, um, well, yeah, it led up to me going after her. And even then that night that I confronted AOC with my friend Kynan, we weren't even thinking we were going to shout at her. We were saying like, okay, you get the microphone first. You, know, you bring up this point. Da, da, da. If I get the microphone first and I'll bring this up and then you follow up with. But when we got there, they said, oh, you guys want to ask the congressman a question? Great. Here's a note card and a pencil. And then we'll you know see if she can answer. It's like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh-huh, no problem. Yeah, right. They're not going to do that. So you just have to get heard. Well, they're going to, that's the thing. They're so protected, you know, and, and some choose to be so more than others. Our Congresswoman never puts herself in a position where anyone can ever ask her anything in writing ahead of time or otherwise. So, you know, it's all relative. So, I mean, again, they don't ever want to be put on the spot. That's like their comms person's nightmare. And so, you know, they're going to avoid that at all costs. And I, I could not agree with you more. I think that nobody should get a moment's peace when they're out in public. I think that if they're not doing what the general public is wanting them to do by a majority, then they should be called out on it regularly and consistently, like always. So that's just me. I, I honestly, you know, the Kirsten Cinema in the bathroom, I might have stood up on the toilet and looked over the edge, man. I might have done it. <laughs> this is like, there's people that are in really bad way and they're making this be about decorum. And they're wondering yeah. why it's getting more That's and more violent. And I've been saying it for a long time. No, there was something flying by. Why it's going to get worse before it gets better. This is unacceptable how people are being treated. And to just think that you're untouchable when you actually are our employees is infuriating to me. These are I agree. employees. Jose, there's no, a, I, I, there's oh, a go ahead. kickback on your end. We're not sure exactly what it may be. It sounds like a... It's, it's, it sounds like a burping sound. Yeah, that's, that's a burping sound. You know what it could be? It could be because I'm wearing an AirPod. Okay. Um, Do, you to to Do you I need to wear that? Do you need to wear the AirPod? I don't think he needs to. You don't need to. Cool. It probably might be better without it. Yeah, let's give him a try. 
Now we can't hear so you. Now we can't hear, can hear me. Now? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay, good. Good. Could have also been the purring from the cat. He was just behind the, the camera. And the <laughs> That's possible. You know what? Yeah. That might have been the cat. Because yeah. yeah, and it's not good sound on the audio. Oh, so no. if it's the cat, Aussie. you need to read I said it your... sounded like a like almost like a purring kind of yeah, I'm like that. It's like sense. you hear the cat breathing. Yeah, yes. you, 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 the cat needs to be relocated <laughs> for the audio purposes. Okay, what well, is it still there? He 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 went away a bit, but we're still we're still catching. Yeah, see, I don't know that that's what it was. No, it's not the cat. That I don't know yeah. what it is. That I'm sorry. Okay. No, it sounds like blah blah. All right, uh, I have a I have a suggestion, and we could test it. Uh, if you ha- do, you get email on your phone, right? Yeah. Okay, if you want to try to log out and log back in on your cell phone, we'll see if that fixes it. Because I am on my cell phone. Oh, phone. that's interesting. All right, then you know what? We're just going to have to deal with it. Oh, that's, that's I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't worry about it. I can yeah. mute when I'm not talking. I can do that. No, it's all good. And so one of the things, um, you know, my criticisms of Alex is more so because, you know, she she ran for office as a – Champion of the working class. Now, for those of you who, <laughs> now for those of you who may or may not be from the Northeast, I am, and happen to know the Bronx pretty well because I lived on the not so good part of Mount Vernon for two years. Uh, there are people that literally come from nothing who put blood, sweat, and tears in the streets to get her elected, and was supposed to be a champion of those people. And since she's been there, she has basically become the darling of the entertainment world or whatever you want to call it. And that for the people like yourself who are in the Bronx, for the people who are in the working class part of Queens, this is a portrayal of the people who literally put the sweat equity in the streets for months and months and months to get rid of a completely corrupt representative in Joe Crowley. And then you're left thinking, well, yeah, maybe marginally it is better to have Alex Mm -hmm. there who is going to say the right thing more so than Crowley is. But if the sweat equity is not going to be in the streets the way it needs to be, then it really doesn't serve that purpose. And what I always say about Alex is that she is, by all accounts based on record, one of the most ineffectual representatives on Capitol Hill. And it's probably going to stay that way. But what she does have the power to do is have immense impact in the New York City area. And she has had it by inspiring other people to run for office and things like that. But she still, without question, has the loudest megaphone and could be making the greatest impact for working people in this country right now. And is choosing not to do it. Whatever that reason is, it isn't good enough because this country is heading straight to hell right now. And I would assume that that's a big uh, a, a level of motivation on your part. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, totally agree with you. I would say, though, that I think what the corruption happened probably when she won her primary, because here in New York, if you win a Democratic primary, you're basically in office. Right. The Republicans not going to win, especially her district it was like hardcore Democrat. Um, something. Yeah, America. right. I, but the thing is, I think what happened, which a lot of us is going to happen to, is like we have the fiery spirit. We want to ch- change things up. It's like, OK, congrats. Now you're in power. 
Now what? Now what? What are you going to do? You're going to try and sway all 434 other congressmen to go your way? They're all insanely corrupt. That's not how things work here in Capitol. And so you're met with this immense, tremendous wave of a force that you cannot control. And then your own party itself is corrupt. And, you know, Jen, I think you know this. You ran against Debbie Washerman Saltz, right? Yeah, I remember that. I think I started following you because of that, too. And, like, I, I remember, like, oh, yeah, somebody needs to get her out. And I forgot what she had done that, like, just made me hate her so much. Oh, there's so, there's a laundry list. We could, we, oh. could, we could have a whole episode on that. Um, yeah. I think that what's interesting is what we're talking about is their effectiveness in terms of legislation and policy. Okay, now that's where you're going to be somewhat stymied, right? There's not a whole lot you're going to be able to necessarily do. However, imagine if Congress people uh, in Washington behaved like the Justins in Nash, you know, um, in Tennessee. And when you are the person that brings in the outside in, when you are the person that uses your platform for the outside people, even though you're an inside person, that is how they can use that position. It isn't necessarily that when you're such a minority voice in your legislative house that you're going to necessarily get policy through. But the whole point of bringing in everybody into that fight and making that be everybody, like, that's what we need. We need them to use their platform. You know, I think, though, that, like, yes, I agree with you. But the problem is, is that most of the Congress is bought and paid for by some corporation. Right. I think yeah. the important thing, I mean, on my end, but Alex I believe, isn't. But Alex isn't. Well, and a I bunch mean, of them I, aren't. Well, I don't know how. Well, maybe she's not bought by some specific corporation, but clearly she votes along party lines and she goes along whatever the DNC she's tells her to. Been, she's been co-opted to go along with the party for sure. But as far as I know, she still doesn't take corporate donations. I think the huge problem is that when it when push comes to shove, and I think you see this in certain states in particular, is that the Democratic Party has a huge problem with the lower ranks, if you want to put it that way, ever standing up to the party infrastructure, especially at the top. And this has been going on for a very long time. The ones who pull the strings within the party are ones like the John Podestas of the world. I don't think people fully understand just how deep this goes. And something as simple as I'm sure you saw the other day. I mean, listen, I just don't like the guy because you're in, you're in the Bronx and I'm sure you know who Harry Sisson is. I'm sure you know exactly where he lives, uh, for those who don't, I'm not even going to say the town, but it's a very affluent suburb of New York City. And when you're using those types of individuals as the mouthpieces for the Democratic Party, well, it just kind of speaks to what the real problem is here. We don't have a party of labor in the United States. We have two corporate parties that are represented by Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and the like. It's just a question of where they fall on the wedge issues that becomes the real dividing line for a lot of people. But if the question becomes, do we have a living wage? Do we have universal health care? Do we have a climate policy? Do we have a foreign policy that doesn't involve endless war? Do we have a criminal justice policy? We don't have those things being espoused at the highest levels where they need to be. Everybody else is just basically going along to get along. And that's not going to work. And we keep saying, if you think that that will work against Trump and or DeSantis in 24, you are sorely mistaken 
There are those who are convinced that somehow they couldn't win, that Trump couldn't win again, or that DeSantis can't win. If the Democrats are offering this, that's what you're going to get. And the desperation of working people is so palpable at this point. I don't know how there are more people like you constantly disrupting. Because they keep them out and they don't go to play things like that. But I love it. And I love when it's like what you did is so legit to me. We have certain people that just stand up and yell, you know, DeSantis is a fascist or whatever at a, you know, just to get like points with the party. We've got like those kinds of operatives, but somebody who really stands up with some substance, I well, we, we do need that. more. We could use that. In well, you know, I mean, I don't, when I do these things, I don't do it under the name of any party. I mean, I'm a part of my yeah. own organization, the LaRouche organization, but at the end of the day, I do it because I'm an American citizen and I care about truth and I encourage others. I don't care what party they are. Speak the truth, no matter who or what you are, because at that moment you do, you become an instrument for what's right. And I mean, let me ask you this. Do you think the Democratic Party could be reformed? Only, only if it gets in in bed again with labor. That's the only way it, it works is if enough of the older people die off, we get enough non-corporate people in. Like, it's definitely a chain of events that has to occur. But do I think that that's right now more of the option than what? See, that's my question is like, what, what, do, what is the other option? So you don't believe, would it be fair to say that you don't believe in like, a rise of independent movements. Like if you had 435 people running a for Congress under a party called Coalition for a New Congress, okay. and this would be composed of people who all have different kinds of beliefs, right? Because, you know, somebody running in Texas is not going to have the same beliefs as somebody running in New York. But what unites them all is this one party, this one idea called the Coalition for a New Congress, where the idea is, look, neither party has served our interests for the last 40 years. Maybe some of them are ex-Republicans, some of them are ex-Democrats. And they're saying, you know what? I'm just going to run and I'm going to take back my government. And I want to have honest debates and honest discussions on the Congress. So, you know, the way to deal with the differences now is you say, you know what, let's put aside our differences and we'll fight it out in the Congress as how it should be. Right. And I think that idea is a palpable alternative here in the year 2024 that or, well, I still don't know how to feel about RFK Jr. I really wish he wasn't running as a Democrat, but I do like like everything. Here's, here's the problem is all of it is really well and good. I agree a thousand percent. And in 16, I voted green. So let me be clear. Like I, I am supportive. I'm one of those people that believes you got to throw enough shit against the wall and go with what sticks. Like I'm open to all different options of rebellion. Okay. The problem is, is the way that the uh, electoral infrastructure is set up. The only party that comes close to having the amount of ballot access is libertarians have 33 states. Other than that, and then Greens have whatever, like a chunk less than that. And so when you talk about somebody getting in there, there's no infrastructure to do so. Jesse Ventura has said that he would be willing to run if a party would get him on the ballot. You need to have ballot access. So when you say outside organizations, a thousand percent, I agree. Like, I think everybody should be in the street. I think we need to create a situation where we could have a general strike. Like, again, I'm, I'm with you. But in terms of electoral politics, 
we have a duopoly that is so entrenched that it's the odds of a, a third party making waves electorally is like it's it's virtually impossible. Yeah, until you change the actual infrastructure of the electoral system, as they have thankfully successfully done in Nevada, Alaska, um, I believe Maine. I mean, yeah, ranked choice Alaska. voting is a step in the right direction. Even with jungle primaries in California, Washington State, and Louisiana, you know, you have different options, and then you also have options in states where you have open primaries, and it's really just a matter. It's just of, a matter of you know, ballot money. access for yeah. parties. So that's my question. Like, I love the idea of the outside. Like, I think that you have to have enough people in the street that basically forces the people on the inside to act because they're never going to get a moment of peace. And that's the that's the point. That's the being the nuisance part of it. But somebody still has to actually legislate policies. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. And, you know, on the ballot access thing, I think I think we I think I am a little bit of an authority because here in New York state, we ran a candidate called Diane Sayre against Chuck Schumer. And before Cuomo got the boot as governor, he raised the ballot requirements for independence for statewide candidates from 15,000 to 45,000. Now, I know you've done ballot access before in petitioning. So 45,000 is not 45,000. That's at minimum, what, 90,000, right? Yeah. Because because they can knock you off. Yeah. We were able to get up. We were the only ones, right? Mind you, we were the only independents we didn't pay anybody, like 95% of our people were volunteer from the outside, and we were able to get 69,000 signatures to get on the ballot. Libertarians couldn't do it. Green Party couldn't do it. We were the only ones to do it. So we can make the impossible possible when it comes to getting people on the ballot. And now, you know, you have like the chair of the Libertarian Party, Angela McArdle, saying, I will help any party primary any of these warmongers in congress now that's why I, I that's why i propose this idea of a coalition for a new congress because it allows the green party to work with the libertarian party and say listen we've got big ideological differences we're going to fight that out in the congress right now we're going to get everybody on the ballot we're going to organize our people to work together and if they got to plug their nose to do it they're going to do it right and we're going to just combine our forces and i think 2024 is ripe for that. That's that's where I'm coming from. And 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 I also look, listen, like yeah. I appreciate that you're not against it. No. You know, and and, and no, like I hear what you're I'm saying. Opportunist get the, the bad people out person. Mm, yeah. And so I think I just want to prove it's possible. And when I, I prove it's possible, you. I'll come back on the show and be like, all right, we got hey, candidates in every I, state. I will support I would be supportive. Look, it sounds to me like what you're saying is if the libertarians are so behind that, why don't they reach out to Jesse Ventura and get him on the ballot? Because he is extremely anti-war. Um, but it's like they have the third closest possibility in terms of access. So like I'm talking about infrastructure already in place versus recreating the wheel. And I again I understand and all things are possible when people are motivated enough. I know that. But it's like if everybody would get together who doesn't like what's going on, like what you're saying, this idea of a, of a new Congress. But I feel like it sounds like brand new Congress, which that ended up. I mean, well, it's like any I mean, you've Jose, you've been involved probably for many years now. And, you know, you, we all have our awakening period. But the one thing that we notice very quickly is that even if there are outside organizations, whether it is the Sunrise Movement, whether it's our revolution, whoever they are, they can support as many 
candidates who are running on the Democratic side as they want, as long as they're not taking corporate special interest money. The problem is when they decide to lock arms with the Democratic Party, that's when it's that's when it's and that's when it ends. Then it's over. It's over immediately. Like you saw what happened to the Sunrise Movement, which was probably the most effective of all of these outside organizations that were trying to make a real difference. They decided whether it was the lady at the top, who I know is based in New York City, deciding either arbitrarily or as an organization that we're going to back Joe for president of the United States because Trump this and Trump that. Yet, as we have seen, Biden has been even worse on the environment than Trump was. And so that, to me, speaks more to the fact that if you're not going to be an independent organization, again, I don't care if you support Democrat candidates running in the Democratic Party, but the second you say that you are affiliated with the Democratic Party, that is the end of your organization, because eventually every chicken comes home to roost. Everyone will basically say, well, we have to support Joe. Yeah, but Joe doesn't support this side of the other thing. We have to support Pelosi. She doesn't support this side of the other thing. Well, then what the hell is the point of your organization? The inside-outside strategy, that's how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to work with you basically being the guardians at the gate to basically say, hey, Democratic Party, you want to get anything done? You come to us, not the other way around. And that is what's lost on a lot of these people. But ultimately, I think it just comes down to some of them are in a circumstance in life where they just decide, well, I want to get paid. I want the connections. I want to get in the club. And, you know, we'll figure it out after the fact. And the truth is there is a dead fourth estate. It's dead. Yes. And so they don't have to be held as accountable as they should be. I think there's a lot of variables. There's a lot of variables as to why this is so bad right now. Okay. So look, this question is going to keep coming up. So we're just going to flash it. Um, Somebody clearly wants to know if you're going to be the one who's going to challenge Alex or Mr. You know, Torres. Well, what district Mr. are you in? I'm, well, I'm in I'm in Torres's district, but I don't mind getting an apartment up by AOCs if I decided to do that. Um, the fact also, is where you live, you wouldn't have to move very far. You probably have. Yeah, to right. Exactly. Um, I'm in Torres's district. I'm in the South Bronx, so I, I, I'm in I'm in the boogie down. This is my my home. I I love this place. I really do. So um, also shout out to neoliberal tears. Like you, you retweet my stuff all the time, and I saw you on Aaron Mate's call in. So good good stuff. I I put this out on Revolutionary Blackout Network because people have been asking me to run for Congress. If people can do 435 interventions, then I'll do it. Because I also don't want people to look for saviors, right? Like, oh, for sure. You know, I don't want people to be like, let's unite behind Jose, and then he'll he'll kick the ass. It's like, well, what about you? What are you guys going to do? If you can prove to me that I can have organizers who are willing to take up the mantle as much as I am, then I'd be happy to run for Congress. That's you're how I'd want to do it. You are, you are not only an activist, you are a smart activist. We don't get that <laughs> a lot of those. Uh, uh, just tell them about, you know, when you decided to run. Like, which, who are we going to be talking no, about? No, well, like, you specifically uh, said that, yeah, people have been asking you to run. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, people have always asked me to run for office. Oh, you mean my three things that I would always say held me back from running? Like, I don't lie, I can't be bought, and I smoke weed. And those things, interestingly now, are all selling points. So I guess it's sort of like fashion. I, I've but come you into style. Willing to run unless you had a support network. Oh, yeah. No, no way. No way. 
there, it has to come from the ground up. Like it has to come from the whole point is to have people that speak for the streets, that people that are coming up from activism and organizing. And that that's the revolving door we need to see. Um, so when it's organic and people are organically leaders and organically in their communities, that's the best way to find people to represent. And you also have to be strategic about this. You know, one of the big issues about running, you know, 435 or whatever the circumstances are in terms of whether you are going to run in the Democratic primary or as an independent or within a third party infrastructure, you have to remember that as, as hard as this reality is, these elections cost money. They cost a lot of money and not because you have to be paying consultants, which is the biggest scam going in all of politics, worse on the Democratic side than the Republican side. And why is that? Because on the Democratic side, on the Republican side, you actually have to win elections on the Democratic side. You could be a 10 time loser and still get hired by the same campaigns or the same groups who think, well, you've run. So you must know what the hell is going on. We do know what's going on, but it also took a significant portion of when Jen ran for Congress to realize who's really on your side and who's in it for the payday or who's in it for the career. It's a learning curve, which is it why is. oftentimes first campaigns are not successful. There's a reason why the people who truly made the real impact in Alex's ability to pull off her victory, why they are no longer affiliated with what she's doing, whether it's Wally Shahid, whether it is uh, tr uh, tr Trent, I'm forgetting his name, down in Tennessee. But point being is that when you get in there and you have to make a decision, that is the decision that is ultimately made. The only member of the squad who truly, who I believe from the very beginning, is the only honest actor out of that whole group is Rashida Tlaib. And the reason being is because she's never changed her stance on, on uh, Julian Assange. She has never changed her stance on Palestine, Palestine. Well, yeah. And the fact that she is willing to fight where others are not, that takes real courage. And she is not in the safest district in Detroit. They have attempted to knock her out of Congress twice now, and she has thwarted it back both times pretty successfully, I must say. And why is she successful? Well, in my opinion, she is successful because she just has balls and she's just not willing to care. If they come and get her, they come and get her. But you've been put there for a reason. And that reason is to make change. Now, one person out of 435 can't make that change. And Rashida does not have the following and the dynamicism that Alex has, but you give credit where it's due for at least somebody who's trying. And I would say the same as I often do for who I believe is the best Republican representative in Congress, and that's Thomas Massey. And even though I believe that his politics is way too far right on too many issues, he never relents when it comes to being anti-war. He is as pro-civil liberties and pro-constitutional rights as anybody I've ever seen. And the fact that he stands on principle more than anybody else does, and the fact that he takes no corporate special interest money either, he does not meet with lobbyists, that's what you got to look for. Yeah, he's going to be super pro-Second Amendment. Yeah, he's going to be very anti-union. There are a lot of things that that guy I am not going to agree with on. But the things that you can agree with on, like you were saying, those core issues that really stand out, you... Always, if you want to know when you're making an impact, figure out what it takes to get yourself smeared. 
When you start getting smeared, that's when you know you're doing something right. Otherwise, you're just a pain in the ass. But be a pain in the ass that scares the shit out of people. Let me tell you Mm -hmm. something, brother. I am looking forward to the day that Hillary Clinton meets you. Because (laughs) that's going to be something else. Yeah. Well, I was almost going to interrupt your theme, but she was at an event here in New York with Nancy Pelosi. But that was closed off pretty privately. It was the same day I called Nancy Pelosi a sad old drunk. Um, the, the, the one that, yeah. Um, I will. Okay. So a couple things there. Cause, um, I believe in supporting people you trust, not that you agree with. I think to me that matters a whole lot more like um, Angela McArdle of the libertarian party. Like I have a complete ideological difference with her. Cause I believe you need a whole lot more government. She's, you know, get government out of everything, but I trust her completely. And she is somebody I would like to see in electoral politics. And same thing with you, Jen. Like, I don't agree with you on probably a lot of things. But if you ran again, I would come down and help you help you and help you primary. I would because I would rather have a government of people I can trust that are open and transparent with why they say what they say. See, like AOC wouldn't be such a I don't think it's a big deal if you're a congressman and you disagree with your constituency as long as you're holding honest town halls yeah. where you're hearing what your constituency is saying, like, hey, you know, we want you to support the Ukrainian war. And then you're saying, listen, I hear you, but here's why I'm not. And then you go through the history. You go through why this war was provoked. And then you hit it back at them. Now, do you still support this war? And you just dialogue with your constituency about why you think you're right. Hear them out on why they think you're wrong. But see, that level of trust matters a whole lot more to constituency because at least somebody can say, you know what, even though I disagree with you on this policy, I'm going to vote for you again because I trust you to tell me why you think the way you do which we haven't had for a long time. And that's my position on these things. So, you know, I don't think the Democratic Party could be reformed, but I'm not opposed to people running in the party if they think they can take somebody's seat. I know Randy Credico said he wants to run against AOC in the Democratic primary. And you know what? Same thing there, you know, like, so that's that's my whole spiel. And yeah. yeah, I agree. And what's interesting is, is that when I was campaigning, you know, I... I find, and I've said it many times, I am very comfortable in more right-wing conservative settings. I'm very comfortable with, like, I'm okay at the, not just the Republican clubs, I'm okay at the Elks Club. I'm okay at, I could go to the gun club. I could, like, I'm good with all of those people. I don't have a problem with any of this. I don't agree with them on a lot of things, but that's okay. But what they all had in common and why they would like me or support me is exactly what you're saying. So I heard that a lot from people um, that it's really, and if people support the idea of majority rule, which I always say to people, do you support the concept of a majority rule? And everybody will say, yeah, you know, like that's the whole point of democracy. And so I agree with you. I just need people I can trust because ultimately the positions that I care about most people agree on. So if we have people we can trust and we're having a functioning republic, then the majority rule concept will work itself out in Congress, which is basically what you're talking about. Um, and, and that's what I'm somewhat hopeful for. But it does definitely mean we need to be trusting of people that we don't agree with on everything. And 
a big part of also what you said that's important is the educational aspect of being a representative that nobody really talks about because people don't educate their constituents. They basically propagandize their constituents. They're like, here's what we're doing. I'm going to tell you. And here's all the talking points. The seniors have eyes. I remember that one. And, and, and the thing is that I do believe as well that I think any big votes should be running polls that you keep open to your constituents to get their take on things. And at the same time, you need to be simultaneously educating people as issues come up so that you're having well-informed participants in your constituency. I mean, that's also important. So I think that there's an opportunity to educate people and have, I totally agree with you. And I think that they should be required to have office hours. I, you know, I, I, there's so many things, but no, we're not going to, I don't care if I agree with, this is why people are saying why I like Andrew Yang. I just like him because I trust him. I think he's reasonable, smart, listens to different ideas, doesn't have to be the smartest person in a room and truly wants to help people. That's why. doesn't mean I agree with him on everything. And the same would be true you know? if you recognize where the problems lie and places like New York City. We just need reasonable people, man. You know, when Jesus, Andrew was Jesus. running for when Andrew was running for um, for mayor of the city, there was a section of the very I remember that. I yeah, think I even supported his campaign. No, but here's the thing. Andrew was a huge proponent of ranked choice voting. He went out there and was doing everything in his capacity to say anybody but Eric Adams and what I saw from what I consider to be the extreme left in New York City, and you know who they are, were basically saying, don't rank Andrew Yang, rank Eric Adams. And I'm thinking, I hope you're happy now. I hope you're glad what you got what you got, because ultimately the shakeup is what is going to make the real difference. At least his ideas are at least somewhat agreeable. But when you elect, represent, perfect example of the cost of living in New York City and how difficult it is to survive there. And the fact that it's been a democratically run city for so long, and everybody's like, well, it's the Democratic Party, this and that. Like, you really don't get that what this is about is whether or not your representatives are bought and paid for by corporate special interests. Whatever party you're in, it's almost irrelevant after the fact. Right. You're going to have to do what constituents want if you're not corporate bought. Uh, then you won't be able to stay there. Right. I mean, like, if you come from a conservative place, you should be a conservative representative. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. We have, I mean, uh, I, I, I remember for the general election of the New York City mayoralship, what did I vote for? I, I, I voted Sliwa. I voted Sliwa because his idea of like bringing cats out into the street to deal with the rats, I thought that was funny. He's also a guardian angel, and he had that New York toughness that I really like. I knew, it was a, I knew he wasn't going to win, but I didn't want right. to give my vote to Eric Adams. Um, at the same time, though, Eric Adams, and I guess there's a little insider stuff for you, we had a fire here in the Bronx about the same month that Eric Adams was sworn in as mayor and it killed like 20 something people or so. And then about a week later down the block from me, a whole house exploded because of like, it was a gas explosion because it was like the heat was being backed up. I went to go and intervene on Eric Adams, but he actually stopped me and said, whoa, whoa, I'll talk to you after I do through this press conference. And then he did. And then he asked me to set up a, cause I told him, I was like, listen, all of these buildings in the Bronx right now are basically matchsticks, okay? Because a lot of these buildings don't have heat. And he said, okay, we'll set up a committee to, and a task force, excuse me, to investigate why these fires are going to continue to happen. And I did. I recruited Columbia, excuse me, I recruited CUNY professors. I recruited students. I got like 25 people on this committee of experts, activists, students to do it. And he just ghosted me. And, wow. you know... 
Yeah. You know why? I think it was because we had genuinely good solutions, which was the truth compared to what Richie Torres was. Torres's solution, because this was his district, was saying, oh, uh, we just need to put smart thermometers so that when the temperature goes a little low, it sends a report to 311. But it's like it's not the case that people aren't reporting there's no heat. Right. I've gone through periods in my life where I've been in apartments where there was no heat. You call 311. Okay, no problem. We will be there in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, you'll be fucking frozen to death by the Can time they get there. This might be really stupid, and I'm a native Floridian, um, but why are there so many buildings in New York that don't have heat? Is it that they used to be wood burning, but now you can't do that anymore? No, so that's a good question, actually. That's a very good question. I mean, that's, I'm you know, legitimately. So a lot of the buildings were built during the FDR era. Right. And what you've had in New York City since the 70s, there was a city planner called his name was Roger Starr. And he had this plan called plan shrinkage. The idea was that the population of New York City was getting just too damn big. And where was he thinking about shrinking these areas in the poorest parts of New York City? The South Bronx got hit. East New York got hit. Parts of Queens, parts of Brooklyn. And how did he cut the, you know, cut the police force, cut the teacher force, cut the ambulance force, cut the um the, the, the hospitals and cut the firefighters. That was the biggest one. He cut a majority of the firefighters. And because the city was going through a recession, landlords were, were starting to just neglect their buildings. They didn't care anymore about um, uh, maintaining their buildings and stuff. In fact, some of them even started burning their own buildings to collect on insurance monies and get the heck out of the city. This is where the famous Bronx is burning comes in. And so ever since then, and then tying the economy into it, you know, there is ever since Nixon took us off the gold standard and we moved to a floating exchange currency, it's all speculation now. So it doesn't really matter how good the building is, just how much you can rent it for. That's what matters more. That's what makes the money. And so you can you don't have to really maintain or repair a building. You can just keep renting it oh, out to whatever oh, sucker. Like there's so wait, wait, wait. So these buildings were built without heat in general. They were just built with no heat. No, they were no, they were built with heat, but like back in the FDR era, and I'm saying that they just weren't properly maintained since then. So because just, been, the heat systems just don't work; they're old, antiquated, and just have never been updated properly. Exactly, that's the okay. thing. Now so you have NYCHA rules about that. Well, that, there you go. Exactly, there are there are rules about that. They're not being enforced, and you see this with public housing here in NYCHA. Here, you have all this public housing. Some of these buildings were built in the last 10 years. They're rat infested. They have no heat. So this isn't even private landlords. This is city-owned housing itself that is yeah. collapsing, that they aren't even taking care of. It's about government intention because the government wants to kill its own population. Like It's not a conspiracy theory. That's just the policy of New York City that's been that way for the last 50 years. It's just like an extermination thing. I mean, I, I just, I find it so infuriating to me. I just really do. It's unbelievable. And then people wonder why we have a gun violence problem in this country. Yeah, exactly. I, I wonder why. Why would people be so uncomfortable and upset enough to look at, you know, their their leaders, their representatives, my so-called representative, uh, and think that maybe they're entitled to, I don't know, basic standards of living. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, oh my God, it's just, I find that crazy to me that yeah. they're allowed to just get away with not providing heat to people. 
Well, also, you can see why people aren't very trusting of the Democratic Party. I mean, in the Bronx, we have some of the lowest voter turnouts ever. Okay, and the only times they're ever big, the last time it was big was 2016. And in 2020, we had a dip because of COVID. Um, but nobody votes in midterms. Nobody cares about midterms. Richie Torres won by like a thousand something votes, right? Nothing, completely nothing compared to the population of the South Bronx, which is another reason why people keep asking me to run because like, but, but anyway, that's, that's beside the point. People are struggling to live and working three jobs to survive. Exactly. They're concerned with voting, which is why they don't vote because, and the truth is to most people that live in those areas that are like very vulnerable, it doesn't matter. It exactly. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't really matter who's in Congress. Their lives have gotten progressively worse. The income inequality has gotten progressively wider divided. And it doesn't matter who's sitting where. Yes, that's exactly. That's that's what I what I find here too. Very challenging is is that idea and that aspect of like, well, I don't care. I'm just trying to survive. Why do I care about who's in power? They're all the same. They're all corrupt. They're all blah, 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 blah. And I don't blame them for thinking that because it's like the reality reflects what they're saying. So, which is why the movement needs to come from labor. And we've been, and being that it is May Day, can't emphasize enough that so many of these issues that we fight for stem from the fact that we do not have uh, the type of collective bargaining in this country that we desperately need. We have been pushing so hard over the past couple of years in particular, in obviously in solidarity with not just the Starbucks workers, the Amazon workers, but we have got to see at least one Walmart stand up already and say that we're not taking this shit anymore. And there are other places that need to be doing the same thing. And there also needs to be a distinction between union rack and file and union bosses. There also needs to be a distinction between the local chapters versus the federal chapters that are locked arms again with the Democratic Party establishment. There is a reason that the AFL-CIO conducts business the way that they do. In fact, one of Wasserman Schultz's biggest, if not the biggest protector that she has had over her 30-year political career is Dan Reynolds, who is head of the Broward County AFL-CIO, who basically is judge, jury, and executioner of all local unions to basically say, oh, you think you're going to screen another candidate and dare dare I say endorse another candidate? No, No. we're supporting Wasserman Schultz, who is one of only three Democrats, keep in mind, that was in support of fast-tracking the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Which, She's really good with labor that way. You know, to yeah, me, right. that, that is the issue. If we are to form this type of outside growth, it's going to come from a place that has nothing to do with red versus blue, conservative versus liberal, any of that. It isn't going to be about 435 individual camp, you know, elections being challenged. It's whether or not we can lock arms with people that we have distinct differences with, but also recognize that collective bargaining and labor power is immensely important. And there are a hell of a lot of people who believe in the labor movement that support Donald Trump. So to deny yeah. that reality and to deny the fact that a lot of them are disgruntled Bernie supporters, perhaps in the millions, that basically as soon as what transpired in 2016, they said, F it, I'm yeah, Trump, they're and that's done. that. And they do not want to address the fact that Ohio is now a solid red state. The same is true for Iowa. And you have Wisconsin that has been battling going back and forth between being a red state. And don't even get me started on Pennsylvania. 
I mean, a lot of that to me does stem. Don't even get me started on Pennsylvania. Well, of course not. You almost they almost put freaking Dr. Oz into the U.S. Senate. How sick they are of the Democrats. Jose, it's like, do you ever watch Big Bang Theory? You ever watch Big Bang Theory? <laughs> yeah, I've watched okay. Big Bang. He's political Sheldon. Oh, so anyway, uh, yeah, you get it. So I hear that you're speaking at the event that we're going to on Wednesday. That's very. Oh, cool. you're gonna be there. Great. Wow, we're coming. Um, I'm we're tomorrow. When are you leaving? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Ooh. Tomorrow morning. Yeah, um, for that event. And I've been in on some of the Zoom meetings that they've had. That's a great group up there that's planning that. Great. Yeah, yeah. I guess. And this is also a great place for me to wrap up because I got to get on something else soon. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess, yeah, I guess I'll just put a plug in. On Wednesday in D.C., um, I'll be one of the keynote speakers with Medea Benjamin. Um, so, Love um, her. Uh, yeah, she's great. So. Yeah. Sorry, if you can make it to, to DC, make it. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Definitely be there. If people want to follow your work, yeah. Where is your where, stuff? Where they follow on my Twitter. Most of it's on my Twitter. Twitter.com/slash Hosby Trigger. That's J O S B T R I G G A. Hose B because Hose A was taken. And Trigger because that was my rapper name when I was like fourteen or fifteen when I made my Twitter. So <laughs> I've never changed it. I, I never heard of you. <laughs> so anyway i gotta run i gotta right, get on something else we'll thank you, you. take care oh he's awesome so guys we have we have a couple of good story times i was feeling inspired to do a story time based on the court the the correspondence dinner uh, I saw Double K throw a comment in there about him uh, saying about the gold standard. I was like, all right, well, we definitely don't have time to run the gamut on the. No, no. That'll no. be for a later date. Um, but I do understand people's desire to want to have the dollar backed by something. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I just think that it. it's not feasible right now. Yeah. We're, we're, we're so far past that. Like, I just don't see how that would be feasible. Yeah, just keep point. printing money, you know. You know. So we, we do have some interesting things, right? Like, what do you want to start with? Well, what is, what's your story that you want to start today's with? Today's May Day, considering that the, the Press Freedom event is on Wednesday. The White House Correspondents' Dinner was this weekend, and all people want to talk about is, you know, the, the jokes and the nonsense, and of course, the fact that this is and just- how fun. And Joe made fun of himself, and what a great guy. So, guys, this to me seemed like a prime example for a, a story time of greetings from hypocrisia where our shit don't stink. And I, I, I can't stress enough when I, I almost thought, when I hear these types of speeches from people like him, I almost look to see if I'm like being recorded. Like, is this real? Like he's really saying this. So forward, please. So as you guys can see, this is, this is what we're dealing with here. So here's Joe in Washington, DC at the correspondence dinner. And he says, and these are now both of these things are direct quotes, but I dot, 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 merge them together. There was other stuff in the middle. So the free press is a pillar, maybe the pillar of free society, not the enemy. Journalism is not a crime. So these things were said by Joe at the correspondence. Center. So there you see in Washington, D.C., there's Joe all, you know, trying yeah, to stay awake. Right. Got his fancy bow tie. And then over in London, it's a spinner, over in London, and then I added this for Joe because he he left this part out. So journalism is not a crime, dot, dot, dot. Unless you print the truth about me and my friends, then you can rot in prison. Signed, Slow Joe. And so you could see that in Washington, oh, D.C., we we're saying that 
free press is the pillar of society. And then over in London, you could see that the person who printed the truth is incarcerated. So I just, you know, welcome to hypocrisy. Would you, is there anything more you want to say? Because when people tell me they like his speech, I can't take that seriously. I cannot take that seriously. How does somebody stand there with a straight face and say that journalism is not a crime when you're refusing not, to not, deal with this? Not, not that it's a crime. It's not a crime. It's definitely not a crime. But I'm here to tell you all why the correspondence dinner was a great. Oh, I can't with and him. Really, I'm so, I find I'm like so angry about this. How people aren't ugh, so disgusted. Uh, this. You have got to drop the thing with Julian Assange. Right, right. So, guys, if you if, if you weren't following that, we're going to be in D.C. This is the greatest crisis in the history of American culture. We're going to be in D.C. at the Assange event. It is a moving event. I'm pretty sure it starts at the Department of Justice at noon, and then it does. It, it's going to be a rotating event, and Jose will be there. Medea Benjamin will be a speaker. There's going to be a lot of other people there. I actually think Ryan Grimm is going to come. It's not a, it's not a crime to journalism. Oh my God! It's a crime to to go against the you know Democratic the, Party. I'm Big Day. Yeah, you know whatever. So anyway, let's we can move on. That was my greetings from hypocrisy, you guys, because I just cannot. How they could even have a correspondence dinner while this is going on, and none of those people are talking about this. That's a sign that the fourth estate, as you know it, in terms of the people in that room, is dead. There is no challenge to power. There is no more fourth estate. The people that are the fourth estate, the people like Jose, the people like Jordan Cheriton, like there are people that are standing up, but none of the people, nobody in that room, nobody in that room has the balls to speak up for actual journalism. So I don't understand how that's, and you know what, and not to mention, as pathetic as mainstream media is anyway, then those are the people that are hand-selected to be entitled to get to go into the White House and be in the correspondence pool, which is so hand-selected by people that are just gonna basically just like eat shit and say, "Mm, that tastes good, can I have some more? And so the fact that anybody in that dinner you included, but sit there and talk about journalism makes me insane. This is why I don't watch that. Those aren't real journalists. That we had a really great dinner. It was delicious. Did you have some? Oh, you weren't there. That's right, because you're not a real journalist. I'm good now. Look, I've said my piece. Do fact, whatever you want. You're the facts, Jack. We're protecting the freedoms of America. And if that means that a few rogue media, whatevers, they're not real journalists, man. Come on, man. I mean, get with the program here. You're a fascist. I'm totally... That's my activism. You're a fascist. That is is a terrible word to say in my presence. No, you believe believe in stifling free speech. You believe in stifling truth. You believe in authoritarianism. I've been committed against good people in America. We're here to let them know that I'm going to protect those rights. Good old Grandpa Joe is going to do just that. so gross. It's going to be a much better future. But you gotta vote for me again in 24. I will never vote for you again. That's not true. You know you're gonna do it. No. Every no, I won't. I regret doing it last time. I'm embarrassed about honestly. It's so disgusting. It doesn't matter anyway. I'm in Florida. She told It doesn't matter anyway. But in in reality, I will n- I will not do that again. It's safe to say the Florida's there is, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, declare a national emergency, give everybody Medicare. 
pardon Julian Assange and Edward Snowden and all the, the list of people that are political prisoners. Uh, stop drilling, forgive student loans, decriminalize marijuana, pardon and expunge nonviolent drug offenders. You meet, I'd say, half of those demands, half of them, I, I consider voting for you. Come on. Anything, I, honestly, I, I'm much. not, I can't. Listen, I have a hard enough time getting that. You expect me to get up and do all these things that you think are No, I don't expect you to. I expect you to do nothing. That's better than doing something. Yeah. Because doing something requires... We'll see how that works this time when you lose. You, The one thing you were totally right about, you will be a one-term president. That's the one thing you were totally right about. Now, everyone just assumed that meant that you weren't running again. That clearly wasn't the case. You're running again, but you will be correct. And you will be a one-term president. I've got nothing better going on right now, and that's what I'm so here it is, America. Get out there, vote harder, stronger, <laughs> bluer, bluer. You do those things, and uh, just, just maybe, you know, you rub two sticks together and something gets I'm not voting for you again. Bye bye. <laughs> I was losing my shit sitting next to him right now. Like I just felt like, wait, you were when you get all method like that, it's just creepy. And I just, oh, no. I feel like I'm so annoyed with the whole thing, and that people are giving him props for his great self-deprecating speech because he was able to laugh at himself. Yeah, great, hoorah! Well, at least it wasn't as bad as the speech that Bush gave when he's like, "No weapons of mass destruction under here." Doesn't matter. Like, can you? Can you believe? All I mean, honestly, that, the they really just look at it as, "Yeah, you can't touch us." No, you can't do anything. Uh, it's crazy. I just the fact that anybody would be giving props to him, the fact that the the sheer elitism of that event in general. Let's let's talk about that basically. Like the whole fact that that even exists and the amount of money that gets wasted on that as if that's the actual journalists. Those aren't journalists. That's the celebration of stenography right there, people. You're watching a celebration of stenography. And I know this because my dad actually is a stenographer. So I, I, I know a lot about stenography and I am telling you, those people are stenographers and this is a giant circle jerk and we're celebrating it like it like it's to me now this is the same thing as like the oscars there's no value I saw, there. Uh, I saw a lady who is part of the dc elite i guess you would say who posted a picture today of donald trump doing um it apparently was for some charity which is you know shocking, shocking. there's a photo op in there he's doing a photo op and he was like shovel ready at some golf course or gonna start a golf course in scotland and he looked you know just like old and haggard and stuff and all i'm thinking is this is what passes for journalism now like this is what you think is relevant i just that level of elitism is where we've gone to and it just sucks they don't well they're not allowed to because they've all been you know thanks to bill clinton that's the whole reason. That's one of the biggest reasons we're in this mess is because there's no independent media. There's no, it's, it's a shit show now of just corporate oligarch owned stenographers that are in bed with the government. It's just really not a good situation. Now, for those of us that are fortunate enough to have an awareness of the problem and educate ourselves and, and seek out other sources, there are other sources. There are journalists doing the work. That's not the problem. There are real journalists sure. out there. I we know some of them. We were just talking to somebody. Like we we actually know them. But those are not the people that get the attention that on mainstream, and they're certainly not at the course. I don't. I don't think they invite people like Abby Martin at the correspondence. Well, 
<laughs> on Wednesday, we are going to have um, we're going to have a unique type of live stream because we will be doing it remote. How are we going to do that? What are we uh, going to do? Well, we you know we can set the stream and do it from the laptop, but then we'll just have to figure out. You're definitely coming to my place. I'm not leaving the city. Whatever. It's a question of whether we could do it somewhere where we can interact with some of the people that hopefully we'll be interacting with. On oh, I see. That's what you want to do? Or as opposed to. Sense. Okay. I was thinking we would do that, like definitely do go live a couple of times during the event. But then I wasn't too. necessarily thinking we would have like a roving live stream. I thought we would set up and in a room. Yeah, and we could do that. I'm just that saying. was sort of more my thought. But I mean, we could invite somebody back to my room. I actually do have like a sitting area in my room. Okay, so yeah, I'm just know. saying we could. That's one of the reasons I got this place is because it's not teeny teeny. So, guys, if you like what we're doing, yes. Right now, I'm sitting here cleaning my bullet because it's really filthy. Make sure that you do your due diligence to go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as five dollars a month. You can become a wonderful supporter of our small but mighty podcast. We are we are small and we're mighty, and we do have some good things coming up, and we will bring you somebody cool. In fact. Look out for me pulling Medea aside at some point, maybe on Wednesday. Maybe we can get Medea to do a little live with us. $5 gets you the Lulu sticker. $10 right? a month support gets you to the new president of the United States will be. Joe Manchin and the Paul Viterian. We all know that this is what's most likely. And let me tell you something. And here's the only thing. There, we could have a, a wrench in our plan is if he's, you know, he's being challenged right now for his Senate, or for his Senate seat. Yeah, with a very right. popular person. Yeah, but someone who's very popular. And Joe Manchin doesn't have actually the same popularity rankings as what's his name? Jordan. What's his name? Jo what, who's the, the, he's the governor or whatever it is, no, no, against Manchin. Name, but he's very popular yes, and re and West Virginia is pretty much red, which is why we are arguably would say Joe Manchin is yes, not a Democrat. The soul of America, Karen, believe me. Oh, we we're fighting for, and we can't even get to fighting for the soul of America because we still don't have a party with which to fight for it. Bruce. So we're fighting for the soul of a party in which to even fight for so anything. $25 a month contributors will get you the Here Comes the Sun generational change jersey because the very generous contributors will definitely have uh, a whale of a time feeling. The Silky Smooth Tribe Blonde shirt. Anybody in the well, D.C. area, come out. 12 o'clock, Department of Justice. Um, the Assange event. I think if it's AssangeDefense.org is the website. And you could see all the details for the event on that. We're also going to put it out. Right? I sent you the graphic, right? Uh, I sent you the graphic that they sent me. I forwarded it to you. I don't think. I emailed it to you. Okay. But we will also be promoting. Yeah. AssangeDefense.org. Okay. And um, guys, if you're anywhere in the DC area, come out. And if you're and if you're somewhere where there's an Assange Defense Group having another event, because there's one going on in Chicago, where our friend Kevin Gostola will be one of the speakers. Um, so there are other events going on. Go on that website and see if there might be something in your vicinity for World Press Freedom Day. That's my suggestion. So that is what's on the itinerary what do we have coming up next week uh next week um we have a few things coming up next week a friend of the show uh carol roth is going to be joining us on wednesday may the 10th to talk about her new book carol roth is on the political right but she is very much for small business which we are as well so that she's somebody that we can cross-pollinate with on a few things yes Yes. And she's nice and she's, you know, 
Yeah. Not all is lost. She, right. She's a, she's she's a very palatable Republican. We have not figured out yet what we're going to do on, mon- on Monday the 8th, but I think what we will do is a de facto uh, sort of fundraiser for generational change. Uh, it is my 40th birthday on Saturday, so it would make more sense to do something on Monday than Wednesday. Um, and the day you're talking about when um, she said she could come on the Friday, it wasn't this Friday, it's the 12th. Correct. Okay, so then that doesn't make sense anyway. And so we also are potentially scheduled to have Finally, Nikki Freed. Uh, We're working on it. Florida Democratic Party. Uh, she will be our guest. We will do a special live next Friday at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. We may also have another guest, uh, fellow podcaster on the West Coast, that may join us as well. Who? So we'll do. Um, Wait, when maybe, is that? That's fine. When is that? On the, that'll be on the 12th. I will double ske- I will schedule it so that way, um, you know, we can we can do both. Uh, at least that would be the plan. Um, let me see if I can pull that up real quick. Uh, for really generation change. Uh, so, Ariana Jasmine, she is a noted uh, progressive political. Oh, yeah. Leader. I thought she was going to come on like a while so ago. We'll try that. Hopefully, we can schedule it. That would be the best time in order to make that so. Uh, so that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, last thing we obviously want to talk about, well, two things we want to talk about before we go. Um, you know, when you think of the Supreme Court and you think of these so-called scandals, uh, because that's really what they are, it's as if suggesting that there isn't this completely corrupt system that we've been dealing with for such a long time. And everyone's saying, oh, look at this person doing this, or this person doing that. Well, Reality sets in. I did another story time. I was feeling really inspired by these three. So we're going to do also an episode of Horrors of Washington, the Supreme Court edition. So we have a story? You were the one that was going to talk about. Oh, I don't know if you wrote something out. No, 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 no. I didn't in particular because I wasn't sure exactly which angle you wanted to cover with this. And there's so many ways to go with these three. Well, we're going to pull the story from Yahoo News because I just think that the whole, the, the headline of it is really what it comes down to. And that is who will guard the guardians. That's always been the issue here is that who is going to be in charge of seeing to it that these individuals are held responsible for what they're doing. And so in this case, the Supreme Court's latest scandals boil down to a question as old as the Romans, who will guard the guardians? Well, Supreme Court justices are under renewed scrutiny due to recently uncovered financial dealings, revelations regarding Justices Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, and John Roberts highlight the lack of ethics enforcement. SCOTUS is the only court in the U.S. where the justices police themselves, expert told Insider. So again, who will police See, the police? See, doesn't that seem counter to the whole checks and balances thing, the whole concept of checks and balances? See, there, there is a way that there has to be a balance for that. So it's obviously a legislative, would be the legislative check on it some way, somehow. So what is that? That's the impeachment process, right? Like that's that's the process by which you would have the check on that body because they're, the, look, we all took civics, right? There's the chart with the three houses and there's arrows going in every direction. And so there is, a they, they are technically not supposed to be policing themselves. That's my point. Somebody, I understand they are, but well, they shouldn't Well, it's be. almost like the, the, you know, the 
the legislative policing the judicial, the judicial policing the executive, and the executive policing the legislative. Something along those lines. Well, no, it goes all different directions. That's the whole point of like, the, it's a nice little three-way triangle of directions. My but point is they needs should- to police each other. Yeah, that's the whole premise of the way the constitution is written is the checks and balances. We were taught this at a young age. So when you say that they're policing themselves or that they, that, that just is out of habit and out of just policy and probably just sort of history, but that's not how it's supposed to be. Let's not be fooled. That's silly. Last week, reports emerged that Justice <coughs> Neil Gorsuch sold property to the head of a major law firm shortly after his confirmation without identifying the buyer on his federal disclosure forms. And on Friday, insiders Matthias Schwartz reported about a whistleblower alleging that Justice Chief Justice John Roberts' wife paid $10 million by elite law firms, including one who argued a case in front of Roberts at the court. I mean, talk about a conflict of interest, right, Lou? Am I right? Crazy. Roberts last week also declined to have justices sit for an ethics hearing requested by members of the Senate Judiciary Committee after initial revelations into Thomas and Crow's long-standing relationship. The Supreme Court did not return insider's request for comment. Not a surprise. As questions have stacked about how the justices who can play by their own rules and whose dealings can be shrouded in secrecy could be policed on these issues, answers have become harder to pluck. And the more the system gets exposed for how corrupt it really is, the more you understand why people don't want to vote, don't want to be involved, and people are getting restless to the point at which they're showing up at events, getting rabble-roused, and then you also see people showing up at places and shooting people. And if you wonder or why breaking that's into people's houses. Correct. Am I right? Careful, she's got like a furball. Go ahead. She's cool. So. What Steve else did we Black, want to talk about? Steve oh, Black. Okay a professor at the University of Texas School of Law and author of the forthcoming book, The Shadow Docket, How the Supreme Court Uses Stealth Rulings to Amass Power and Undermine the Republic, where he's still an insider, that ethics enforcement should be a nonpartisan issue. Of course, it's in the interest of the court. But of course, the Supreme Court was designed not to be partisan, just like the presidency was designed not to be partisan. But that, of course, changed. And it changed in a very bad way. You know, the amazing thing about, you know, how great George Washington really was as our first president is that it wasn't like there was this grace period of Washington setting precedent for the nation as the true independent president that he was. It changed immediately between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. They didn't even wait. They immediately went into this BS. And that's why history should not rank them high, even though there were good things that they did, because they set this shit in motion. Alexander Hamilton was responsible for the forming of the Democratic Party, and Thomas Jefferson is responsible for the forming of the Republican Party, as it stands today. This is we we had it happen immediately, which is why when there aren't guardians at the gate, when there aren't people that are looking out for the best interests of the people, then what the hell is the point of the republic? You had to literally go through a civil effing war before you got to a president who was anywhere near of the valor of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. You had to go through the Industrial Revolution and the complete pillaging of working communities and children before you got to an accidental president of the same valor in Teddy Roosevelt. You had to go through the worst depression this country's ever seen before you got to FDR. And you know why, right? You know why all of that. Because you literally have to get to the bottom before you eventually. But do you understand what the continuing thread that keeps 
pushing us to the bottom. Corporate special interest. Right? Well, yes, and some would argue capitalism is the continuous thread that when unfettered and unregulated gets completely out of control, and then eventually there's a rebellion or a revolution or something that pulls it back in line. But ultimately, that's what keeps happening. And we're seeing it now, the, the income, the wealth inequality right now is at a bigger disparity than ever. And we have a society with more guns than people. What could go wrong? Seriously. The Supreme Court is the only court not bound by a specific code of ethics by all federal judges, including the top justices, are expected to follow ethics statutes and are required to file financial disclosure forms. There is a reason why things have sunk as far as they have. So when something like these scandals show up, it shouldn't surprise anybody. Like it really should. It's just further proof that the system is broken. It is being exposed every day. And it's so sad to me. Like the whole, you know, I really did for a long time have like put the Supreme Court on somewhat of a pedestal. And at one time it belonged there. At I just, it makes it me, it just makes me really, it's, it's, I don't know. I guess I always thought of the executive branch as being, you know, that's just a bozo popularity iron, contest. But you know what the irony is? The irony is that this all started with the very justice that basically was the inflection point of this whole mess. And that's Clarence Thomas. This is what that's where it started. That's when that was the first time when I remember watching the appointment process, the hearing process. And I felt like this is somebody who has no business being on the court. Like this was the first time I ever really felt that way, that this person has no business being there. And just is so not in that is just so not yeah. the right person. And that went, and it went downhill. <laughs> it really is. I mean, there have been a few people that I'm trying to think the last like right or Republican appointed person. I mean, Roberts is, you know, there are some that are at least we'd say they're qualified for the job. Yeah. You know, they've had people that- such as qualified. Yeah, yeah, I, that's not on top. But Clarence Thomas was the first time for me, someone like really where it was like a big bubble burst in terms of what the level of qualifications were in terms of temperament, um, in terms of professionalism, in terms of, yeah, decorum. That's not the people's house. That's not the, the, the floor or the chamber of the people's house. That's the Supreme Court. There needs to be people in there that maintain their disposition and know how to, you know, get a he just horribly unqualified. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's horribly it really sucked. And so the last thing we'll mention before we go, um, got to give, uh, we got, we got to end on a positive note, if it could even be positive. Well, and this is hard for me. This one's hard for me. I feel like, Michael J. Fox is like up there in terms of representing my, my growing up, like in terms of what I remember between family ties and back to the future. I feel like Michael J. Fox was just such a presence. And I honestly, I've always liked him. Always. I love Doc Hollywood. That's one of my favorite movies. Well, Family Ties. I mean, I remember, I, even I can remember Family Ties in the mid '80s when I was a very young kid. But that's one of the first shows that I do remember. Alex P. Keaton. Alex P. Keaton. And Alex P. Keaton was like my idol. My parents were kind of like Steve and Elise Keaton, and I was kind of like 
my rebellion was, I told you when in 88, I was behind the whole Bob Dole thing. Bob Dole. I told you I was, I, like I'm telling you, Alex P. Keaton was like my person her and I, and I always say, fortunately, I wasn't old enough to vote. So I didn't actually cause any damage in any way. Well, this is an eight minute video. No, we're not going to watch that. But, but the, the point I mean about what's going on with him, he made a statement recently about just how it's getting infinitely harder and harder for him, which he knew would happen. The fact that he was diagnosed with Parkinson's at 29 is just, like, and I remember when it happened, he was actually filming Doc Hollywood when he started noticing that he was having like tremors and he knew that something wasn't right. But so he was so young. He's been living. I think he's 61. It said now. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's 10 years older than me. So that he really knows that he's not making it to 80. Like he's not like this is not it's getting harder and harder, I think was the point. But in the in the meantime, his organization that Well, you know what? I think what we could play is his movie because it's a two it's only a little over two minutes. Okay, so there's a trailer for his movie that's yeah. coming out. Okay. I think this would be uh the put on and this really I think will capture because we were talking about earlier today, he is he's one of the good guys and there's not yeah. a lot of them out there. Not at that level. Um, and he just, has been just a real hero for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it's Marty McFly for God's sake. Well, I mean, I just, I just always think of him as somebody that's just, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say an unkind thing about him that's worked with him or knows him or ever. We definitely agree. So. I'd also like to point out that he is in fact Canadian. A. I'm just saying it's just, you know, All right. it's worth pointing out. Here we go. The story of me. Take two. Three, two. Here we go. Ready and action. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? What did it mean to be still? I wouldn't know. I was never still. That's him. That's our star. I want this job. I can do it. Whatever the exception is, I can fix it. I can be older. I can be taller. I can be anything. The popularity of Michael J. Fox is a phenomenon. Here is Michael J. Fox. What is the secret of your success? And the winner is Michael J. Fox. I don't believe this. This is great. I feel four feet tall. <laughs> I get it. I was big. I was bigger than bubblegum. I woke up and I noticed my pinky. Auto-animated. Parkinson's disease. I told Tracy the news. In sickness and in health, I remember her whispering. No one outside of my family knew. There was only one reason I took these pills. To hide. But all those years of hiding was shaking me away. She denied that part of me that wants to continue to go on and do things is, is to quit. I don't accept that. I'm a tough uh, son of a bitch. Still, a Michael J. Fox movie. The sad sack story is Michael J. Fox gets this debilitating disease and it crushes him. Yeah, that's boring.
How do you not get, how do you not smile? How are you not inspired? I love him. I love him and her. And you know what? To this day. We all do, Karina. There's never a time where it's never a good time to watch Back to the Future. All right. So for the younger people that know him from Back to the Future, I would urge you to go back to the train station scene in Family Ties when his now, when his wife, who was playing his girlfriend in the show, and it was Billy Vera's What Would You Think, was playing one of the cutest things ever on TV. Just saying, and and now they're married, so it's just I I like them. I think they're adorable. wild. We definitely, I definitely agree. And um, even though also, you know, uh, it's it's always interesting because an American president. Well, yeah. That. Well, James James Woods obviously is a very noted uh, conservative um, and has been for some time. But when it comes to his fellow actors, no matter how liberal they may be, he only has the best things to say. But he particularly went out of his way to compliment. Michael and what it was like doing that movie with him and how he just talked about how Michael was always smiling and always positive and it's like because James Woods is such a but he's like <laughs> but that's a reflection of somebody who isn't a happy person who looks at somebody who's happy but realizes that they're genuinely happy and they want you to be happy with them not hey I'm happy and I'm better than you Michael is that bright, shining light that when people are around him, even the most curmudgeon type person like James Woods is like, I freaking love that. Yeah. And I highly recommend younger people. Doc Hollywood. Love yeah. that movie. Doc Hollywood's cute. For I love. So cute. He's just adorable. I can't even, he's you know, one of those he's guys just that adorable. You you, he's one of those guys that you just can't not like. Yeah. You can't. I mean, he's very he's, there's a, there's a, there's an early movie that he made that I still haven't seen that apparently some say is his best performance that he ever did, which is Teen Bright, Wolf. Bright Lights, Big City. I didn't love that, but that wasn't because I didn't like him. I don't know. I, well, I mean, I, maybe I need to revisit that. I don't remember like, I don't remember it like thinking it was great. And that was in the Well, 80s. like if you look like a movie, like the secret of my success, that is a that's movie that so is funny. just that's, but that's that's Marty. So, that's Marty McFly working in a New York. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's don't only, care. It's just, but that's what it is. I there's care. no denying that there was no difference in that character versus Marty. No, and he doesn't need. And that's fine. It At that time, he didn't need to be because that was just cash. For the in. most part, that's how I feel about Harrison Ford. But it works for me. Harrison. <laughs> I, I don't care. But but yeah, I just he's been in so many movies that people don't realize that were real, greedy was funny and like he yeah. He's been in a lot of really good movies. He was great. And in he was, a, listen, an American president. I mean, yes, even in that small role he that he had, so he was so good. And, that, and listen, of all the scenes in that movie, when he's having that back and forth with Michael Douglas, I mean, that was a great scene. When oh, one of my favorite scenes is in the limo. And he and, yeah. and Michael J. Fox was like talking about how I tell all women plans are soft until they get confirmation 15 minutes prior. <laughs> and, and, and Michael Douglas, and that works for you. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, well, when you're in that position, when you, what was his role again? Well, he was the press, press secretary. He was the press secretary. Yeah, when you're in that position, you kind of have, like, if a chick is like trying to watch you and know what you're doing, you're the press secretary, they kind of know if you're being legit or not. Because you'll be on it's TV all the time. So funny. Yes. Uh, he was in many ways. What's so interesting about that role is that Alex oh, P. Yeah. Keaton was my is hero. The, he is the Reagan youth. Like right. that's who he was. He represented the 
you know, the kid who was born in the 60s that became and he a worshiped. Reagan. He, he worshipped Reagan. Well, and worshipped Milton Friedman. Yeah, well, of course. Oh, my God. he was Alex B. Keaton was an economist. What I always found interesting about Milton Friedman, and talk about a guy. I mean, oh, that Friedman, was a great show. Milton Friedman lived to be almost 95. And at the very end, he admitted, yeah, most of what I say is bullshit. And, and can we also say Spin City was also hilarious. Yeah. Had a really good run. He's had a it lot was. of good. He's just, he's just funny. And I, Mikey is also a very big Bruce fan. And I mean, a Bruce fan of the highest order. Like when he does any type of shows. Speaking uh, of tributes, Bruce, did you see what recently went down with Bruce? I, I didn't, but I'm making a point here. Okay. Is that, you know, like his last show on Spin City, you know, he had Bruce, you know, do glory days. You know, there are things where it's, again, you can separate the neoliberalism of what, you know, Bruce has become to understand what an impact he's had on so many people's lives, including mine. Yeah, I uh, agree that his comic acting and also uh, Michael J. Fox's great slapstick. And he, yeah. off, there, I've seen him in roles where he almost, it reminds me of like John Ritter. I've seen him in, in that for love or money, there were scenes in that where he was like, but there was definitely physical comedy. I just, I think he's just great. That's Yeah. And so what, were you, well, that is Michael J. Fox. And that's what we love. Uh, what were you saying about um, Bruce? Oh, wasn't there something recent with Bruce where wasn't he having Michelle Obama singing backup to his performance? Oh, yeah. Like was it well, Michelle speaking Obama? Of glory, speaking of glory days. The glory days when Bruce actually was, was with the blue collar folk. And so, so Bruce is doing to, I have a, I actually have a friend who's in uh, Madrid and she went to the two shows in Barcelona. Uh, she's one of those traveling Bruce people. And so. A traveling Bruce. Oh, it's a, oh for real. Okay. Like, not, I, I went to Boulder. I was friends with deadheads. I'm very familiar with the concept of traveling people. Okay. So anyway, point being is that Michelle Obama got on stage with uh, Patty and they were hobnobbing it up with glory days and it's like and if only w were there was up there with them well, that wouldn't happen oh i don't know that to be true uh, anymore bruce my friends oh a lot of bruce's political evolution came as a result of george w bruce. yeah and now and now yeah but you see now they're one removed now they're all redeeming each other they're all friends and of course it was pointed out that tom hanks was front and center at bruce's show last night it's like all right look that's, his, that's the world he's I in. like Bruce, and if I had front row seats, I would go. Uh, I don't have a problem with Bruce. No, considering that money is of no object to Bruce or to Tom Hanks. I think it's unfortunate. I wouldn't pay that kind of money for a ticket. I think it's unfortunate that he is so willing to cast aside his, you know, OG fans. You yeah, know, like, I think that that's really, much. yeah, I think that's disappointing to me, but I still would go, see, first of all, he puts on a great show he and does. yeah, I don't, I, I mean, don't like, I, he comes. hasn't done anything like horrible. No. It's not like I, no, you know, no, he's a great human. I mean, look, this is a super Bruce. net positive. He's just, we, he's a little yeah, neo Libby. The problem is, is that we expect more from him, even though the guy is now entering his mid seventies and really expecting so much the fact that he could still rock the way he does is oh. really amazing now granted i'm sure a lot of that is on him and not so much on his but that also is like people like Mick Jagger, all of them and the, the thing is is i think it's a chicken and an egg thing the reason that they age the way they do is because they're always doing what they do it's 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 almost like it goes hand in hand look at willie nelson i mean like i'm telling you the people that tour that travel that show whatever they 
they do well. They do. Once you make it past the cutoff point of like the young drug overdose age, then they actually get to where they hit their stride. Bruce is somebody who never did that stuff. And that's probably why he's been able yeah. to succeed in such a rare form, especially being in rock and roll. But the fact that he did that. Um, is Bruce has been him. demoted to the floor. Oh, well, he'll make his way back at some point in the future. Remember to smash the like button, share, subscribe, do all those wonderful things we request of you all the time. We know that you appreciate our work because you're always here in the chat. We like seeing the new faces. Check out some of our other clips that we have floating around. Uh, one clip we didn't get a chance to talk about with Jose was our clip of Matt Taibbi and Debbie Wasserman Schultz. No, 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 no. Check that out if you can. Journalism really is dying and we're trying to save it. The next time you see us will be from our nation's capital. We don't know for sure where it's going to be. Likely in Jen's uh, Airbnb. Uh, no, I'm in a, I'm in a, oh, I'm like in a, in a sweet hotel. Oh, sweet hotel. No, it's a sweet, it's, it's like sweet. older. It's not, it's, it's not fancy, but it has, I have some space. That's one thing I, I mean, I, DC is the only major city I would ever live in. And one thing I love about these hotels is that they have such great respect for, you know, they have great art and photography all these things that are great. We've got to think of an excursion to do. Well, the hotels there are horrid in terms of like what you get for the money. It's like New That's York. True. It's like they're, the true. rooms are tiny. And so like for me, it's not about I don't I'm, I'm, I'm very low maintenance. I like convenient, but I am not good in just a room. So which is why I normally do an Airbnb. Sure. But I found this this place was like a, I'm staying nothing in fancy. In Virginia, which is much better off. Quick trip into the city. Might have a nice fancy. Well, not a fancy ride, but a decent ride. Something that could be fun. We'll see what happens. Make sure to tune in on Wednesday at nine. We'll see you then. Bye, y'all. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.